don't know about you, but in the past, I've found that when it comes to talks on lust or chats about lust or even my own wrestlings with it, that I've too often than not just been a bit apathetic or maybe actually ignorant is a better word, where I've just not really seen it as much of a big deal. I've got a bit frustrated with the whole sex is bad narrative and just wanted to feel like the rest of the world wasn't constantly condemning millennials for not being able to keep it in their pants. Or have thought that the rebuking of lust was just God being a little bit of a thrill kill. Or that I was just so done with feeling so dirty and ashamed and like the only sin anyone was ever referring to when they talked about habitual sin or hidden sin was always something to do with lust. And if you're thinking any of those things right now, now that you know it's a talk on lust. Or again, if you're still feeling like, I don't know how this is going to be relevant to me, then please stick with me, because what God's actually been opening my eyes to over the last few years is that in our current day, lust is one of the biggest thieves of our God-given identity. It's robbing us of more than we're willing to admit, and it is literally killing thousands of people around the world. That's a bold start, I know, and I promise I'm not subjecting us to a long time of doom and gloom this evening. There will be moments to laugh, I promise, and please do laugh. So it's probably most helpful for us to start by looking at what is lust, or maybe more helpfully, what isn't lust? Because I think half the problems with chats about lust is that, as I mentioned just now, it tends to form this really negative narrative around sex, and that's because we've confused things a bit. Lust is not simply sexual desire, full stop. It's not a word to define every form of sexual desire or the presence of sexual desire. Because if nobody has told you this already, this is good stuff, sexual desire is good. It's great even, hallelujah. Because sexual desire was created by God and it was given to us by God. That's right, God, God created sexual pleasure. God designed us as sexual beings. God created foreplay and penises and vaginas. God literally brought into the world orgasms. That's it, I'm saying all the words. God created all of that. So if you're ever being told the lie that God hates sex, you couldn't be more wrong. If you turn to the very start of the Bible in Genesis, after the world has been created, it gets a bit juicy because we find ourselves reading about two naked people in a garden and Adam singing some kind of love poetry over, about, over Eve about how beautiful she is. So right at the beginning of the Holy Bible, we see the presence of sexual desire and it's flipping awesome. Yeah, amen. <laughs> so lust is not simply sexual desire. Because everything God has made is good. And lust is far, far from something that is good. There is an opposition to God. His name is Satan, or the devil, or the enemy, however you've heard his name before. And more often than not, the way he works is to take something that was made as good and twist it and turn it into something that's destructive. And that is where we get lust from. When sexual desire becomes disordered, misplaced, or as it's normally defined, intense, unbridled, uncontrolled, unconstrained, it turns into lust. And why would an unconstrained or intense sexual desire be a bad thing? Because when we lack discipline and self-control, 
It normally produces great levels of selfishness and idolatry. Lust says, do whatever you can to satisfy the overwhelmingly sexual desire that you feel. And that often means that our behaviors and our actions become destructive to us, harmful to others, and displeasing to God. So you're now maybe left with lots of questions, so am I. Um, But we're going to delve into this properly tonight and unpack it together. And I'm going to break it down into four parts. The design, the help, the discipline, and the delight. Um, And I will repeat those. So for anyone that takes notes, don't stress. It will come up again. (laughs) The design. So I've already started to unpack a bit about God's design for sex and sexual desire. That it was and still is God-breathed that it was present at the beginning of time, the beginning of the Bible, in the garden, a place that was perfect, a place that was sinless, that God loves sex and delights when we enjoy that gift properly. But as any good and loving parent does, they set parameters for how to enjoy a good gift, not to be boring or controlling, but because they love us because they can see the potential dangers if that gift is used wrongly or at the wrong time. I remember a time when I was eight years old, um, and we were having a family party in our garden. Um, I was very blessed growing up to have lots of cousins who were all a similar age to me, so family parties were the best, because we didn't have to do all the boring grown-up stuff and sit around and pretend like talking was fun. Um, We could go off and play for hours and do whatever we want and make up dance shows to perform to everyone and go away in our little summer house and make a den, because we all know dens were the coolest thing to do as a kid. Um, And we were just free to enjoy our time however we wanted to. Now, at this one particular party, we had recently been bought a new swing by my mum and dad. Um, And I was so desperate for my cousins to try out this new swing that we ran down to the tree, but the swing was all wrapped up around the branch and tucked up into the leaves. And I thought it was a bit weird, but I promised my cousins that my parents must have just been putting it out of the way for the time being, and, and it was totally fine because we used it all the time. So we unraveled the swing, and we started playing, and in a matter of seconds, literally, it was so quick, I barely even saw it, the whole arm of our apple tree, a whole branch from the trunk beyond, came off the tree and fell on top of my cousin. And thankfully, she was totally fine, praise the Lord. She only came out with just a small cut on her back. But that moment, my mum came running out, firstly, to check that my cousin was okay, but secondly, to explain that that swing wasn't put away to make some space. That swing had been wrapped up and put away because that part of the tree was dying and it wasn't safe to use the swing anymore. It wasn't the right time to use the gift that we had been given. And when I think back to that story, I think two things. Firstly, thank goodness my cousin's okay, because this is a seriously big tree, guys. I'm not kidding you. That was a big old branch. But secondly, I always think to myself, I wish my mom had just told me why the swing was out of use, because then I never would have gotten it down. And for some of us in the room this evening, that's a little bit like where our journeys went wrong with sexual desire. So for some of you, you were promised that something was fine and was safe to use, just like I promised that the, my cousin that the swing was going to be okay. But the reality is we were all just as ignorant as each other. So maybe when you were too young to understand, somebody introduced you to porn. 
or somebody explained to you what masturbation was and instantly you were thrown into a world of lust and intrigue and overly stimulated sexual desire at a time in life when you had no idea how to have a handle over that. And probably before you'd really been taught about God's design for sex and the way that it should be enjoyed. Or for some of you, nobody led you astray, but you just discovered your body at a young age when you were too young to understand it and and understand it all properly. And again, you opened up a world you weren't ready for and you had nobody there to teach you about it. Or for some of you, that came in a far more painful way and you were exploited and you were taken advantage of before you fully understood what was happening to you. And those terrible moments defined your understanding of sexual desire and also shaped your understanding of your value and your worth. Or for some of you, you resonate with the part of the story where I wish my mum had just explained to me why. And maybe you saw the gift of sex and you opened it up too early and only months or years later did you open your Bible or hear a talk on God's original design for sex and you're gutted that nobody told you sooner. And I'm just here to say that God sees you, he knows you and he loves you. And if you've had a painful and a difficult journey with lust in life so far, you are not alone. You are not the only one. You are not terrible or disgusting or a freak or too far gone for God to help you. I was absolutely bricking it to stand up here tonight and talk about this, but I also know it's the greatest honor to get to talk about things and bring them into the light and point people towards the freedom and healing that God is offering you. And that really starts with this, with being open and honest with one another about the things that we struggle with. And women, I'm talking to you as well, because we have been shaped far too much by a culture in church that said, lust is a men's problem and not a woman's problem, because women are far too emotional and not sexual enough to deal with all of those, struggle with all of those things. But that's not true. And I'm here to call that out as well, because believing that will make you feel even more isolated and alone and unlovable. But there is freedom in bringing things into the light. I'll park that there for a minute, because that's for a bit later on. So if God created us as beings who experience sexual desire, and that's good, where did it go wrong? Well, Adam and Eve messed things up, and sin entered the world, and the devil started twisting what was originally good and using it for evil. He took the desire to have sex with one's spouse, or took the ability to find people attractive, and distorted that into a selfish desire that was all about fulfilling one's needs. He made it about personal gain and feeling good. He's made sex about being, something, um, about being something people do for us rather than a thing we can do to sacrificially love somebody else, particularly and only technically our spouse. He's brought porn into the equation, masturbation, erotic novels and movies. He's taken our mental ability to fantasize in a godly way about our spouse or being loved by another and led us down the road of over-fantasizing, idolizing sex and marriage, unhelpfully planning out perfect moments of love and sex in our minds, so much so that we will never truly be satisfied. He's taken the safety and beauty of marital covenant and told us that if we were displeased with our significant other, that we should then break our vows and find somebody else who meets our needs better. And for many of us, he's altered the narrative around love and sex completely so that our understanding of our worth and our hope for managing our sexual drives in a godly way is fairly non-existent. 
I watched a documentary this week created by an anti-trafficking organization called Exodus Cry. And the documentary was created to expose the new sexual revolution that's taken place. It's called Liberated, if you want to watch it. And they filmed this documentary all about an American spring break. Now, I'll forewarn you, if you do watch it, it's horrific. It's not for the faint of heart. It's so sad, I pretty much wept the whole way through it. But it was incredibly eye-opening to see just how far lust has taken over the world. And here are a few quotes from real, actual people that were on this documentary. Love is not real. It's like this fictitious thing that society invents so that you can have sex with someone. Our society has given up on love. Making love doesn't exist anymore. People will completely dismiss any emotions that go with sex because it's not supposed to matter anymore. It's not supposed to be a big thing. And that's the difference with the 60s sexual revolution in comparison to now. In the 60s, it still had to do with emotion. But now it's become a thing where sex is about feeling good. And I sat there watching this documentary thinking, how has sex become everything and nothing all at the same time? It's literally the only thing these students have gone on spring break for, along with drinking, but yet they're speaking about it and acting about it in a way that treats it like it holds no value at all. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story, because we serve a good and powerful God, one who can transform us even when we feel like we have gone way, way, way beyond too far for saving. One of the students on this documentary that the, they, they follow around quite a lot. He was a heavenly, heavily broken man who thought that the only way to prove himself was to sleep with any girl that he met, even to get to the point where he started timing how long it could take him from meeting someone to getting them in bed. And he did that with one girl that they show on the documentary, and he did it in 20 minutes, including the sex. And he didn't even know her name afterwards. But, God knew his name. And because of this documentary, he found Jesus, and God set him free, and now he travels the world as an advocate for anti-trafficking movements, and to speak up for people to, to get free from lust and addictions and find freedom. And this is what he said in an article about his journey. It's a bit graphic, I'm sorry. I proudly posed for a picture next to the blood-stained sheets of a girl whose virginity I just robbed, advertising them as a trophy of the ultimate challenge. Not only did I mistakenly believe that this proved my virility, but I had completely lost all touch with this young woman's humanity. The notion of masculinity I adopted from my culture taught me to. I do not blame the culture for my actions. I take full responsibility for them. But in processing my own journey, I think it's important to acknowledge that the role culture played in my socialization, in shaping my identity, values, and worldview. Heavily influenced by pop culture and pornography, my sexuality had been hijacked. But where the enemy and the world attempts to hijack our sexuality, we need to hold on to the fact that there is a God who fights for our purity and holiness. Our God is the one who created sex and sexual desire, and it's the enemy that has twisted that into sexual immorality and lust. But we're on the winning side. 
We just need to turn to God and let him heal us, restore us, deliver us, and redefine our sexuality for us again. There's a reason God's not got any time for lust. There's a reason the Bible condemns it. There's a reason we're invited to not let sin reign in our bodies. And there's a reason God offers to create in us a clean heart because he loves us. And because he loves us, he helps us. And that's part two, the help. The first part's always the longest, don't worry. It's much quicker from here, guys. We serve a good God, a good Father. He loves his children far too much to leave them and let them be engulfed by sin. God always helps us. And alongside the ultimate help of him sending his son to die for us and wash away all the mess that we could ever create and produce, God helps us in three main ways. He helps us through his spirit, he helps us through his word, and he helps us through his people. And I just want to reread our passage from Romans. Um, but I'm going to read it from the Message Bible, which is not a literal translation of the Bible. I don't recommend that for studying the word, but it's a helpful a guide tool for a different way of putting it. And it says this, that means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full-time, remember you've been raised from the dead, into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. Do not let sin reign. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands for it. There's grace for when we let it slip in. There's forgiveness for when we get things wrong. But this is a warning to us to not let it reign in our bodies, to not let that moment of a lustful thought turn into an all-consuming fantasy or a lust-filled addiction because then you become a slave to that. And the other thing that the passage presents us with is a choice. Um, a choice between living for the old king kingdom and the old king, and the new kingdom and the new king. And as you can imagine, the old king and the old kingdom is evil, and the king is Satan. And the new kingdom and the new king is Jesus and the kingdom of God. And this passage says, we have a choice. We can either offer up ourselves to be weapons of destruction for the advancement of Satan's kingdom, or we can offer up ourselves as a weapon for the good fight. The one that might be hard and will definitely require sacrifice, taking up our cross and denying our fleshly desires, but one that sees our King Jesus glorified and his people loved and looked after for eternity. And we do that, as the passage says, by offering every part of ourselves. We can't leave even a little space for lust. And we need to give every part of ourselves to be used for God's goodness and to see his kingdom come. So the word helps us and the spirit helps us. God's given us his Holy Spirit to help with this battle. He's chosen to let his spirit live in us so that he can guide us to what is right and good and steer us away from what the Bible says is the sin that so easily entangles us. And with every vice comes a God-breathed virtue. And what better way to combat lust than to run after fidelity? Even more so, so in a culture that massively slates anyone who commits to anything for longer than like a month. And I get that big old commitment phase. Not so much anymore. <laughs> Sorry, I love you. 
Um, we have the opportunity to live in a way that is completely captivating, rare, and beautiful. We get to be faithful to each other and faithful to Jesus in a world that teaches every man for himself, and as soon as something stops making you feel good, then toss it out to the dogs. Fidelity is hard. It's hard to stay faithful to something for a while, let alone a lifetime. It's hard to resist our fleshly desires. It's hard to keep loving someone, Jesus included, in the seasons when we're not really feeling it, or it doesn't seem to be bringing us any evident goodness, or it takes a lot of effort. It's hard. But isn't hard work the very thing that makes it beautiful? Isn't the persecution the disciples faced after Jesus left the earth the thing that made their ministry so inspiring? Isn't it the faithful witness of those in their older years who have endured hardship after hardship, yet still fervently love the Lord that inspires us? Isn't it the elderly, elderly widows who, even after like 60 plus years of marriage, will turn around and say that they're ready to die so they can be with their loved ones again? That's some like the ultimate inspiration to be wholeheartedly loyal and committed to a person. It's valuable because it's hard, because you have to work for it, because you have to choose it and because you have to sacrifice for it. Keep in fidelity, being someone who is faithful, more often than not, means that we will be people who put others above ourselves. When we're truly faithful to Jesus, we pray, not mine, but your will be done. And Jesus has paid the price for you to be brought from death to life. So don't offer yourself to evil. Offer yourself to God. Offer yourselves up as a sacrifice. Surrender yourself to his ways, which are not there to be a killjoy, by the way, but because they're far more life-bringing than anything the world could offer us and because he loves us. It's Jesus' sacrifice that has made us clean, as we saw in our other reading. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. We can ask for that. We can pray for that. God is always in the process of renewing that steadfast spirit within us. So that we can be people who aren't easily swayed by temptation. God delights in helping us and working with us. He guides us with his word and his spirit. And he also guides us with his people. So on to part three, we're getting there, coming into land, the discipline. Now, God's word and the Holy Spirit also help to discipline us as well, so don't leave me, let me lead you astray there. But along with God reminding us to choose the right king and offer ourselves up for the right kingdom and promising to renew a steadfast spirit in us, he has also given us one another to be helpful. He's given us a family and a community that should celebrate running after sexual purity and one that should place importance of walking things closely with one another in the hope of helping each other become more like Jesus. We need to embrace the dignity of one another. And we need to call out culture. It's not just about refraining from being lustful ourselves but about faithfully walking alongside our brothers and sisters as they aim to do so too. But it's also about not making excuses for society anymore. We can roll our eyes at overly sexualized movies and continue to watch them in spite of our eye rolling, or we can acknowledge that the reason our media is so overly sexualized now is because the powers at the top of this industry have seen a need in a generation completely entangled in lust, and they are going about meeting that need in any way they can, even if that means people get exploited for it. But we can come alongside each other and get real about what we're letting use form our understanding of sex. 
And what excuses are we making for that? Because we can listen to loads of songs about sex, or we can watch programs like Bridgerton and argue that it's all okay because the creators are making a real effort to portray sex as accurately as possible. But I'm just gonna burst that bubble and let you into a really, really important piece of information. No person on this earth, no photographer or videographer or director or screenwriter or actor or porn star or magazine company or erotic author could ever provide you with an accurate representation of what sex is like. Because good, godly sex is not an act that you learn or a skill you get good at. Good, godly sex is about a person that you learn and a way of loving them that you get good at. Godly sex is studying your spouse. That's right, spouse, only spouse. We can chat about that later, <laughs> there's another talk in itself. Coming to know your spouse inside and out, through and through to such a degree that you learn how to love them, serve them, honor them, and delight them with intimate pleasure, and that looks different between every couple. And so not only is there no accurate physical representation, there's also no, no words or visual content that can capture what happens emotionally and spiritually when you have sex. People have attempted it and done somewhat of a good job at it, but no one's got there, because they're not supposed to. And I honestly think that's why God doesn't massively try to in the Bible either. But he doesn't keep it blurry and gray for us as well. He tells us what we need to know. He gives us loving parameters. Do not awaken love until it so desires. Why? When is that? Within the covenant of marriage. Why marriage? Because when you leave your mother and father, you become one flesh together. And that's not some cheesy romantic line in the Bible. That is literally what happens, guys. You get tethered together, bonded, entwined, all of those words as close as you can be. And that's not something that's meant to be undone and redone over and over and over again. God's covenants are serious. So we need to walk faithfully with each other, to work through these issues. We need to get more in line with God and filled with more of a godly confidence to call out the rubbish, to call out the excuses and to start being honest with each other. The wonderful Ellie Clear that we got to hear from earlier said to me this week, Emily, real friends ask the hard questions. And she's absolutely right. This is all about accountability. This is about breaking through the comfortable conversations and getting to the tough stuff and genuinely walking through everything together with the Lord. And we have to be wise about who we invite to do that with us. We don't have to do that with everyone that we know. But we need to have spaces in our lives and people that we get real with and we get serious with and we get passionate with about seeing the back of these issues. This is about discipline and delight. The journey of purity is hard because it always involves renouncing our desires and denying our flesh, but it does have the power to transform us. There's a great line in, a, in Proverbs 23 that says, do not let your heart envy sinners. And I think sometimes we get stuck in our journey with lust because we spend so much time thinking, gosh, haven't the non-Christians got it great? Because they can just do whatever they want, make a sleep with whoever they want, and it doesn't look restrictive at all, and they look like they're having a great time but they're not free, they're far from it. They are more enslaved, more lost, and more empty than any of us ever wanna be. And you see, the grass is actually greener wherever you water it. We can look at non-Christians and see them as free, and they're not, but what if we spent more time watering the grass of following Jesus and being in his presence and loving his will and his way? 
What if we put more energy into walking with our friends and letting them challenge us so that we can all step into Jesus' freedom more? Because it's joyful. And we're coming into land here. Part four, the delight. All of this can be a delight. Even if it doesn't feel like it, even if it feels like the worst thing in your life right now and the thing that you're completely crippled by, this journey can be a delight because what's waiting on the other side is freedom. And get ready to hear something epic. This quote literally flipped everything on its head for me this week. This is from real scientists, which is cool because I don't normally quote scientists. Neurologists have shown that while most brain development stops sometime in childhood, the brain's joy center, located and observable in the right orbital prefrontal cortex, is the only part of the brain that never loses its capacity to grow. As Dr. James Freisein and his colleagues explained, <laughs> not blessed with languages either, when the joy center has been sufficiently developed, it regulates emotions, pain control, and immunity centers. It guides us to act like ourselves. It releases neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin. Without sufficient joy strength, we spend the rest of our lives trying to fill the deficit. God can overcome all of this with joy, guys. And joy doesn't always, that word doesn't always mean happy, clappy, feels really great, but it's a deep knowing that there's a God who loves you, who sees you, and who's for you. And the more we step into how he's made us, the greater the strength of that part has, in, has to call the shots in us. If we keep growing that joy center, imagine what we're gonna be able to overcome in the way of sin. There's so much delight in this journey. There is life in the family of God. And I'm not gonna lie, I started this week weeping. I was researching for this talk and just crying on my knees. I'm like, God, what are we gonna do? I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn up on Sunday and I'm gonna depress a whole bunch of people and make them feel like the world's a terrible place and just open up a whole lot of wounds and then leave. Um, and you know what, maybe some of that is true or, or needed to happen or maybe it has already started happening. But then a few days later, I read this quote, and God, uh, God reminded me, as always, that's not the end of the story, because his joy is our strength. Because he has overcome, he's already done it. Because it's for freedom that Christ set us free. So we, do we really think that Jesus was gonna have gone through the most horrific and humiliating death of all time just so that we could still be slaves to lust and live with no hope of there ever being freedom for us again? Or for us to be victims of lust and live with no hope of there ever being freedom for us again? Absolutely not. His sacrifice and resurrection makes it possible for us to be people full of fidelity, people who are fully faithful to one another and to the Lord, and that is joyful. It's joyful to walk the journey of life with friends. It's joyful to be accountable to one another. It's not pain-free, and it's not always easy, but it's flipping, flipping joyful because we get front row seats to watching each other become more like Jesus, know Jesus more, love Jesus more, and then love others because of it, and that is joyful. So if you're crippled by lust, there's a God waiting to walk you into healing and freedom. If you've been a victim of lust, there's a God waiting to walk you into healing and trust and out of fear. And if you're the innocent Christian bystander, not that there's really one, an innocent Christian bystander who knows it's not what you want to join in with, but you also don't want to look lame in front of your friends, then there's a God waiting to use you as a game changer to call out the lies and spread his glorious truth. God extends the honor to us of getting to partner with him in seeing his kingdom come to earth. 
That means we get to help our friends and family move more towards freedom, and that means he grants us the power to help change the narrative and the culture. I'm gonna leave you with this quote from a great preacher called John Tyson. The only way you could really know that Jesus is back from the dead and you have eternal life is that you are sexually pure and financially generous. Because our whole culture is that, if that's not true, it's about getting as much as you can. And a willingness to forego and to share means you really believe there's another life, not just this one. We are a witness to the world of this, uh, we are a witness to the world of the resurrection.